In one of the commentaries that I read on this text, a very familiar one to me, in fact, one that I just told somebody is in my top 50 favorites, because I can't decide. The writer said, it is important for preachers, I always love it when they tell the preachers what to do, to resist the temptation to spiritualize this message. The spiritual aspect of salvation in Luke cannot be separated from economic, social, and political realities. Jesus' mission is to free people from captivity to sin and from captivity to the sinful structures and systems that diminish and destroy lives. Everybody agrees when they hear Jesus read this, and they know it certainly 2,000 years ago sitting in the synagogue with him, that Jesus is speaking about something that Leviticus talks about, which is the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 25. The year of Jubilee was commanded to happen every 50th year. It says, proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants, it shall be a jubilee for you when each of you shall return to his property and each of you shall return to his clan. The word jubilee in Hebrew is the same word for ram's horn. Did you know that? I always thought it meant something like rejoice in the Lord because that's what it's translated to later on in the Greek. But it comes from the same word as the ram's horn because... The ram's horn was blown in victory when there was a party to be had, a jubilee. The implications are clear that the ram's horn was blasted in victory and liberation. The ram's horn announces peace has come. And so this year of jubilee is an announcement of God's peace, God's shalom for God's people. And that peace inevitably, as Leviticus continues, I didn't read the whole passage, includes economic justice among God's people. In practice, as outlined in Leviticus, the goal of the Jubilee was periodic forgiveness of debts so that the, the entire society might flourish. A recognition that if we get too tangled up and go for too long, with some people having much more than they need and some people always struggling to get by, we won't be able to recover it. We'll never be able to say everybody has enough. God knows that a society does not function well when it just keeps getting larger, that gap between the haves and the have-nots. And so the year of Jubilee is a structural hope that we just don't ever let it get that far, that every 50 years we're just gonna start over. We're gonna make sure that we don't take ourselves to a place of no return. The essence of Jubilee is God's inspired vision to interrupt the status quo, a reset embedded in the way of life for God's people, emphasizing the intricate relationship, the interconnectedness of humanity, of creation, and of God. Within the reality of life in a world of broken relationships, Jubilee then is an expression of God's desire for everybody 
to flourish. And I believe, even as you're hearing it, because I know you live in the same world I do, that this is a radical and countercultural and perhaps even laughable idea then as much as now. But it's still what we have in scripture. It's still the first public words Jesus says to his community from his hometown in Nazareth, in the synagogue. It's a model that he puts forward. It's a vision he lifts up and says, everybody should be able to thrive in this community and in so doing shine as light for the rest of the world. So I thought, well, it's in the law, it's in Leviticus, we can see that it's there. We should be able to look back and find the records of how this went every 50 years. How did it actually happen? What was it like when the great jubilee shuffle occurred? There should be stories of how it was once, maybe twice in someone's lifetime for, for everyone to uproot themselves, go back to their ancestral lands, to give back lands they perhaps had acquired by taking it instead of fairly accumulating it, to release slaves that they were exploiting for labor, for the slaves to finally have 40 acres and a mule or something to that effect so that they could begin Whatever land and wealth you had accumulated, now you must separate yourself from it. Instead of a thousand acres, you and your family are back to a few or what your oldest ancestor started with. And like I said, all your slaves are gone. All the debts are wiped out. Now, of course, I'm speaking to you as if we're the ones who have the slaves. We're the ones who have the land and I'm thinking you're probably imagining, this doesn't sound like good news to me. But from the other side, the ones who were sure that they would be born and live and die without ever having anything of their own, or that they would always live indebted irrevocably to somebody else, to them, this is the best news. If you're a slave or a low on the totem pole worker, now you're not. Now you're a landowner. You have standing in the community again. You are a person after having been stripped of your personhood. So where are they? Where are the tomes that can help us see how did they do this? I love this idea. I don't love the thought of losing things I've accumulated, but I love the idea of everybody having what they need. Help me get from A to B. I want to see how it's done. You would think that somewhere between the 1600 years that exist between Moses, Leviticus, and Jesus, this moment in Nazareth, someone had to write something down to help us out. There aren't any. It never actually happened. At least, not in the grand way it was described. Scholars don't believe 
it ever happened that way. And in fact, biblical theologians over the years have decided that this idea is really something eschatological, which just means something we sort of look forward to in the great by and by. It won't happen here on this earth, but someday, someday we'll see it. And then it became a way of just helping people live a little better with the injustices of the world because we could say it won't always be like this for you. I mean, when you die, everything will be fine. <laughs> Wait, so I have to die first? Someday your prince will come. But not today. Just this lovely vision of hope and possibility. And for those of us who have enough, I'm good with the vision. Because that means I get to stay just as things are. And I get to say to someone who's unhappy or, or not doing well or who's always been on the wrong side of things, you'll be okay without having any responsibility. But then Jesus, he says to them, today, these words have been fulfilled in your hearing. Now that's not in Isaiah. That's new Jesus. That's what Jesus does is he moves this eschatological, this sweet by and by vision into the present earthly moment of his hometown where nobody expects anything much of him yet. And he says, today. Now you already got a glimpse because of what Jan read of what's gonna happen because Jesus says today. They're gonna try to kill him. No kidding. But we don't have to talk about that today. Today I want to talk about what today could actually mean. Because it says today we don't get a date. Jesus doesn't say today, January 22nd, 33 AD, which is like saying 33 in the year of me. He just says today. So anytime we read today, it means today. January 22nd, 2022. What does Jubilee look like today? Not as some hoped for vision, but as a, some real possibility. At First Lutheran Church, we change lives by providing food, shelter, and faith formation ministries. Good news to the poor, recovery of sight to the blind, freedom for the captives, the year of the Lord's favor. We change lives. I mean, we can focus on the food, shelter, and faith formation, and we do and we will, but that's that first part that's most important. We change lives. That's good because in my mind's eye, I often, as a person that lives in a pretty comfortable place, 
have a conversation with Jesus. And it's not that fun, but it keeps happening. I have this imagination that Jesus stops by. Lippy, good to see you. I hear you got a new job. I just have this quick question to ask you. There's like a hundred churches here in this area. But there's people who don't have homes. Can you help me understand that? Let me phone a friend. I call you. People of First Lutheran Church, you're one of many of my people, my Christian communities. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But there are still people in this town who don't have a place to sleep. Can you help me understand that? I don't think Jesus is going to leave us there in that moment of knowing something's terribly wrong here, that we would have all these Christians, that Jesus would have all these people and still have so many people who are struggling in so many ways, economically and otherwise. The vision, the eschatological vision that you and I are a part of beginning right now, today, is that we would start to change lives, actually continue the changing of lives we have been about for a long time. In Onalaska, in La Crosse County, in western Wisconsin, the Midwest, the U.S., and the world. Jesus' people are there, so no one ought be poor or held captive. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Changed lives. You're going to be asked to increase your giving if you haven't heard it already, so that we can continue to change lives that we can be a part of that, and not just as a, as a benefactor to the poor. But here's the good news, the goodest news for us is that as we change our ways, as we follow Jesus, as we do that radical divine redistribution so that nobody gets so far down and nobody gets so far up as to be unrecoverable, our lives will change too. Even if we think they're already good, they're going to change better. It's going to be better for everyone. I'll, I'll end my sermon with a story about a woman that I knew. She was troubled. She had a life that had not been easy. She lost her mother when she was 10. She grew up wealthy, but somehow she always seemed to make that bad decision, waste that opportunity, need bailing out. She went to college and met a man who was poor but actually did a little better with those financial decisions, wasn't so wasteful. In fact, some might have called him cheap. He didn't finish college and neither did she. They got excited and got married. They had their ups and downs. 
They had their lean times and their leaner times. They never really knew plenty because the people who used to bail her out stopped. They and their two children endured a season of housing insecurity. They tried to stay at friends' homes and a small apartment. They were deeply in debt to some others, some banks. They received gifts. There was a lot of debt. But they got along, as people do. They were mostly working, because most of the poor in our country are working. Sometimes they even had good jobs. All the time, one of them had benefits, so that was good for the kids. They got divorced. Then they got remarried. Then they got divorced again. The second time, there was a bankruptcy involved. Then she lost her job for embezzling money. He lost his job for doing some funny things with taxes. Not sure exactly. They deserve help. Is Jubilee for them? Well, they belonged to a church, and they had a pastor who maybe had the same conversation with Jesus that I have sometimes. There's members of your church, a family. They're struggling, Jesus might have said to him. We're not going to get into the particulars of why, but they need help, and you can help them. And so he did. She was working at Revco, which is the predecessor to CVS, I think. And he came to her one Christmas with an envelope of cash of $3,000. She fell to the floor, crying. Jubilee. Because she'd be able to have Christmas for her kids and it didn't have anything to do with her doing the right or the wrong thing. It had everything to do with her knowing and being connected to Jesus' people. And that would be enough that that was her moment of changing lives, of a changed life. But one of her kids saw it happen, actually both of them, but one of them it had a particular impression on. She decided she'd grow up and be a pastor and tell sermons and stories about how Jesus had changed her life. And she's standing here today telling you that this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, we can change lives. Jesus needs that from us. Let's answer that call. Amen.